This week we dissect Netflix's account sharing cat which is currently rolling out in the US and why Comcast's new Now TV streaming service has limited appeal. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and I am happy, as always, to have Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media with me. And uh, Colin, you're you're in LA today, are you not? I am indeed in LA. Sorry, I sound a bit echoey, but uh, I had to find a quiet place, and this is what I could find to do our recording. Yes, I'm at the uh, OTTX X Fronts. Uh, which is uh, taking place at the Skirball Center in LA. And it's just a bunch of content providers and, and uh, advertisers talking about how they can help each other, uh, which has been fascinating. And we're actually going to talk about at least one item that came up here uh, during our podcast today. So yeah, very interesting two-day event. Um, I'm moderating a panel this afternoon. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. It's all about uh, niche content, and it's going to be a very fascinating conversation. I'll probably end up writing up something on my blog, and maybe we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, and you're also being a little bit modest, I think, because aren't you shooting the pilot of your new Apple TV series, The Life and Times of a British Video Analyst? Isn't that what you're doing tomorrow? (laughs) Uh, No, unfortunately, well, that would not be riveting viewing, I can tell you that for sure. No, tomorrow I'm actually going to be at another conference in San Francisco, TVOT, TV Tomorrow Show moderating yet another panel on content discovery so that should be also very interesting but uh, anyway why don't we jump into our uh, news items for this week go ahead we've got a few news items quickly then uh, then we're going to get into our more substantive stories you go you bet so uh, one of the things that i've been sort of waiting to happen is a while ago Um, I was told by Chicken Soup for the Soul that they were going to be introducing a loyalty program. And they finally introduced it. They introduced it yesterday. We're recording here on Wednesday. And they're using, interestingly, they're using a blockchain platform called Tata2, which is based out of Rome. And the idea here is that people will get points and uh, points which can be used to bid on prizes and buy products for watching TV. So Chicken Soup for the Soul, of course, has a bunch of different properties like Crackle Plus, for example. Um, And of course, they they recently bought Redbox and Redbox has its, its own video platform. So you will be able to get TTU coins which are digital points, not a cryptocurrency, I should add. Uh, You'll be able to earn those for watching and then exchange them, as I say, for prizes and buying products. So I think this is is a really good approach. And it actually puts me a little bit in mind of, of another service, which is called Rewarded TV, which is also based on blockchain and Web 3.0 technology. And it is doing broadly the same thing. It has a loyalty program that allows you to earn points and exchange those points for free viewing and products. So uh, this could be a trend where like, I think it's a great way of 
engaging your viewers and keeping them loyal. So great use, I think, of Web 3.0 technology, and I'm looking forward to a lot more of this going on. Yeah, I'll have to give it a spin also and see how it works out. But loyalty programs are tried and true, as we know. So this sounds like a uh, kind of a modern version of something like that. It sure does. Anyway, what did you, what caught your eye this week? Yeah, well, I just want to give a huge shout out to um, something that I participated in recently that's now available. Uh, I did an interview, or I should say I was interviewed for a report called the Nostradamus Report, Everything Changing All at Once. And it is a report that is written uh, for the Gothenburg Film Festival in Sweden. It's the largest film festival in the Nordics. It's been around for 40 years. It runs from January to February. It screens 250 films, 700 screenings in all, over 270,000 visitors. It's a huge tradition in the Nordics. And uh, accompanying the festival, they also do what's called the Nostradamus Report. And it's written by a woman who reached out to me to ask if I would contribute my perspective and insights. Uh, her name is Johanna Kolyonen, if I'm hopefully pronouncing that correctly. We spent a bunch of time on the phone. She interviewed a handful of other folks. Uh, the report just came out this week. I'm going to include a link in my post. I'll share it with you also, Colin, if you want to post it. And it's a very, very significant piece of work. It's 78 pages, very comprehensive. Um, it takes some time to get through, but to me, there's a, a really strong correlation between the amount of time spent and the amount of value derived because Johanna really does a nice job, I think a really nice job of breaking down all of the most salient issues right now for the broader film and TV industries in a way that's very digestible and curates in the quotes that she received from the other several people who she interviewed along with myself in a way that I think really supports her narrative and makes clear to readers, you know, what they should be paying attention to. And uh, I just, I, it's the first time I've worked with Johanna, I've collaborated with her, but I, I think she did just an absolutely fantastic job with this report and encourage listeners who are interested in understanding more about the industry and really getting into a lot of depth and, um, and seeing it all framed out very nicely. I'll, I'll include the link that's called the Nostradamus Report, Everything Changing All at Once, 2023. Uh, sounds fascinating, Will. I can't wait to get a, get my hands on it and read it. Nostradamus? I don't know if I would have called it Nostradamus, though. Well, hey, you know, she knew she was interviewing Will Richmond, so <laughs> she didn't call it Nostradamus. What's she going to call it? I'm teasing. I, I had the similar reaction. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a little more modest than to call myself or anything. I have to do something with Nostradamus, but I think it's a catchy name. It's what they've used for a while, and Nobody has a crystal ball, a perfect crystal ball on where any of this stuff is going. But I, again, I think she just does a really, really solid job of breaking everything down and trying to explain it. So it's it's really worth a read. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, and, and by the way, to be clear, there's no financial upside to me at all with any of this. I, Whether people download it, read it, don't, pass it along, whatever, does I'm not paid in any way, shape, or form. It was a 
a professional contribution that she asked for um, to share my insights and observations, and, that, and that's all that I did. It's funny, Willis. I think most of the things I do these days are like that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Okay, let's go on, Colin. Let's get into yep. it. Now TV from Comcast, something we need to be paying attention to or something that we can kind of keep slumbering about? Well, let's take a look at what they're doing. When Comcast purchased Sky about three, four years ago now, one of the things I had said to them was that they should really be paying a lot of attention to what Sky is doing because I thought at the time Sky was doing an excellent job at managing its presence, certainly in the UK market. And one of the key things that it had in that market was a thing called Now TV. And what Now TV did was it allowed Sky to offer at a much lower price point and commitment level um, some of the key properties that they had in sports and movies to consumers through a broadband box. And also rolling, of course, all the broadband services. So I thought it was a very strong offering. Well, fast forward here now to 2023 and Comcast has unveiled plans to launch a Now TV here in the US. Now, it's a very different formulation to the one that Sky launched in the UK. What you get is you get uh, 40 live channels, including A&E, AMC, Hallmark, Warner Brothers Discovery, etc. Uh, so it sounds like 40 live cable channels. And it doesn't look like they don't say they include locals. So I don't think your locals are going to be included here. Plus, you get 20 channels of integrated fast channels from NBC. Uh, so NBC is contributing some of the, a bunch of fast channels that they've created for other platforms. Uh, and also they come from Sky and Zumo. So I would expect you'd find Sky News, which is frequently available on fast platforms, including Zumo. So that, that, that type of thing there. And the final thing you get here is a subscription to Peacock Premium. That's all rolled into this package. And for that, they want to charge $20 a month. Uh, so I, I, I found it quite amusing to hear what Comcast uh, CEO, uh, CEO of Comcast Cable had to say about this. He said, now TV is a great starter video surface priced attractively, but still will be financially accretive for us. And I think that's probably the bottom line here, Will, because I don't know about you, but 20 bucks sounds a little bit high to me for this, uh, this bundling. And, and also, I don't know if people remember this, but about uh, back in 2017, Comcast actually launched a companion TV service to its broadband, which it caused, called Instant TV, which had a bunch of channels, including your locals, uh, and you could also add HBO on. And I think that was $18 for the basic package. And then you could add HBO on for, for $15. Um, so somewhat similar, I guess, a somewhat similar approach to, to this new platform. But uh, anyway, what do you think? You think $20 is too much for this? Yes. <laughs> Simply put. <laughs> I'm adding now TV to my ever-growing list of things that do not make any sense to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's break it down. Within the $20, there's a Peacock premium subscription that goes for $5 a month. 
So we now need to find $15 of value from everything else in this group of channels. The fast channels contribute zero value because by definition they're available for free elsewhere. So it really comes down to the cable networks that are included in this lineup being worth $15 a month. The cable networks that are highlighted are A&E Networks, AMC, Hallmark, Warner Brothers Discovery. We don't know specifically what channels of those companies will be included. AMC, I suppose, speaks for itself. It'll be AMC. Hallmark, I suppose, speaks for itself. But Warner Brothers Discovery owns lots of different channels. We don't know which ones will be included here. A&E also owns a bunch of different channels. We don't know which ones will be included here. I think regardless of which ones are included in Now TV, it would be very difficult for a consumer to ascribe a $15 a month value to all of those channels. Um, Now TV, I think, has fundamentally two problems with it. One is that it does not include local broadcasters, as you mentioned, still the most widely watched channels on TV by far. And it doesn't include any sports, which we know account for the vast majority on a week-in, week-out basis of the top 10 programs watched on TV. No sports, no broadcast, to me equals no potential for big natural audiences here. Price it too high, as they've done at $20 a month, it adds up to something that is, I don't think, barely even going to cause a ripple in the market. Um, You know, Comcast, as you said, tried something somewhat similar to this in the past. It didn't work out. Sky's Now TV, as you said, is a completely different formulation. Now TV includes those big sports that Sky has, which makes it a terrific value opportunity. Now TV here in the U.S. from Comcast does not include any sports that they are mentioning, at least. So I don't really see any big opportunity here. I don't see it as any kind of an on-ramp uh, or you know, value, meaningful value prop to anybody that Comcast is asserting it would be valuable to. I, I just don't get it, Colin. I mean, yeah. I, it's a little, I have to admit, I feel it's like a little surreal to me following on the heels last week of our discussion of the Warner Media that changed the rebrand to Max and how they're including all of the discovery programming now on a day and day date day and date basis plus all the full library content and not charging anything more for that than what HBO Max subscribers were currently paying. Right. It, it, this is yet another decision that I just it doesn't even pass the common sense test to me, much less passing the test and then meriting a closer scrutiny from a financial perspective. I, I just don't get these things, Colin. Well, uh, let me give you a little bit of a more positive spin on this, Will. That, there are sports and there are news included in this package because they're in Peacock. The thing is that they're, you know, they're by no means complete. I think Peacock can carry, for example, the NFL broadcast, the NFL games that are included with Peacock, although I'm not sure that they can carry them out of market. That uh, has to be seen. 
Um, of course, Peacock has my Premier League, which I'm pretty happy with, and I'm not sure, it's not clear as well if USA, for example, an NBC property like USA is included in this uh, Now TV package. They didn't call that out. Um, the reason I say USA is because some of the Premier Leagues are carried exclusively on USA, and I'm not in Peacock. So there, it's, it's not right to say that there's no sports included. There are sports that come with Peacock, and there is news that comes with Peacock. It's just not very complete. Maybe we could look at this in sort of uh, as a transitional product for people who have decided that they want to cut the cord still want a few of the cable, would still like to hang on to a few of the cable channels, but are looking for looking to save a lot of money and you know perhaps they're spending more time streaming and the sports aren't quite so critical to them. It feels a little bit like Philo to me, which is another one of the virtual MVPDs. So, and it's sort of priced very similar to Philo. I think Philo is 25 bucks these days. Although, you know, one of the things they don't seem, they don't say they include here is any sort of DVR, which would make it, you know, a little bit more interesting, I think, a little bit more like Philo, more like a virtual MVPD. But uh, as you say, it, it sounds like it's a poorly targeted product. I don't know who it's for. You don't know who it's for. <laughs> so, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see if it sticks around because instant TV certainly didn't stick around very long. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Colin, there will be some people who find a use case for now TV. Uh, as you said, probably those that want to cut the cord, want to reduce their expense, but don't want to lose access to those favorite shows on, you know, Hallmark or A&E or whatever. You know, there will be people like that. I just don't think there are going to be that many of those people. And the ability to message to those people, generate awareness for now TV, and then actually get them to sign up for now TV and have any real lifetime value, meaning they don't churn out after two, three months, whatever. Um, I, it just doesn't feel like much of an opportunity for me. So no. what's the big to do here? Yep, I think I agree. Okay, so what did you see? What else have we got? Well, the big thing that hit my radar this week is that Netflix has gone officially that they're going to start enforcing the limitation on account sharing here in the U.S. And we obviously have talked about this many times in the podcast. They've already introduced it in other markets. They told us, they told the market publicly that they were going to roll it out in the U.S. imminently. And now they have. And what they're basically saying is that whereas for years, since the beginning of time, one of the great benefits of having a Netflix subscription was that you could essentially share your, create new profiles on your account, share your password with your kids and with other people if you wanted to, or your in-laws or your parents or whoever it was, and everybody could derive value off of that single subscription. Now what they're saying is that everybody outside of the quote household, which is a physical structure in the Netflix definition, people who live under the same roof are considered a household and not people who live elsewhere, but maybe related to you, family, et cetera. Uh, those people now have to have their own subscription and they're offering that at $8 a month for those people to have their own subscription. And I, you know, we've said this before from an analyst perspective, this is absolutely the right move for Netflix. They're going to generate 
tons and tons and tons of new subscribers off of this policy from a consumer standpoint when you and i put on our consumer hats it's a drag because yep. we have in our lives various people who have been using our subscriptions who are now going to have to have their own subscriptions so i think net net it's a win for netflix as we've talked about coupled with the ad supported tier it's a double win one topic you and I talked about before we started recording, probably worth spending a few minutes on, is they've chosen to price this at $8 a month. I think that's actually around the right price for it, primarily for one reason, which is that they have this ad-supported tier out there for $7 a month. If they had priced it lower than 7 per month, they would have driven the vast majority of people setting up their own account into this new benefit tier. I don't know what you want to call it, the household extension tier. So if they priced it at say $4 a month, everybody would have been driven over to the four. Nobody would have, I, you know, I'm speaking in concrete terms here. It's not everybody and nobody, but the majority of people would have migrated over to the household extension account for $4 a month. By pricing it at $8 a month, they're I think forcing some real decision making by the new people who need to set up uh, people who need to set up a new account at Netflix, whether to take up the eight dollar ad free service or to go with the seven dollar a month ad supported service. And given that they have had some pretty strong success already with the ad supported service, they recently said they have over five million now on that tier. With less than six, within less than six months of launching it, they um, have talked on their earnings call about how ridiculously profitable the ad-supported tier is. They're incented to get people over there, but at the same time, they don't want to make it too brutal on people who want to have an ad-free experience. So, I think they priced it right about at the level that would have been appropriate. You disagree. You think they should have priced it closer to four dollars a month. Um, I, I, I think I do, Will, and here's with a caveat. So looking at the way they priced it in their test markets, they priced, I think, 2 to $3 in, in the Latin American markets, and my anticipation was that they would probably double that maybe to 4 or $5 here, which seemed reasonable to me. But that was with the caveat that I thought that they had said that they were going to restrict this to one extra account. Now, neither you nor I could find anything in their announcement or on their website that stated that they were restricting it to one account. So the compromise it seems like they've come up with internally is, okay, so we won't restrict it. You can add as many as you want, but we're going to charge you eight bucks a month, which is a pretty decent whack, right? Unfortunately, though, I think that that really sort of punishes folks like me who have, I have a relative who is unable to afford Netflix, um, who's been, use, who I've been um, covering under my account. And, uh, you know, that sort of punishes that sort of situation. And one of the things I always feel a little uneasy with whenever they make, whenever an SVOD service makes a pricing change is you nudge people who uh, may not be using this, the service as much as they were 
and you ask them questions now. You ask them, is it worth this additional? Um, for me, I can tell you I know exactly what I'm going to do. I had upgraded my account to the upper tier of Netflix because I felt I owed them that because I was sharing it with my, with my relative who's not living with me. Um, I'm going to go in and I'm going to reduce my, uh, my membership back to the standard plan, which is HD only. And I will add this extra person. So the revenue for Netflix from me is going to say pretty much the same. It's not going to increase even though I am taking advantage of this extra account. Um, so for me, I would have, I could see the sanity of restricting it to one additional location at a lower price than that for $5 a month. And then basically forcing everybody else to either sign up for the ad, ad supported or ad free plans. So I think it's a little high, but I do. I also do see the rhyme or reason behind charging what they are charging, and perhaps not restricting the number of extra accounts that you can add. Anyway, that's that's. I think there's this. The concern I have is that this is going to nudge a whole bunch of people to really start thinking about how much they're using Netflix and that could lose them some some subscribers that have been with them a long time uh, but notwithstanding that stepping outside of my personal circumstance I still think Netflix is going to end up making a lot more revenue this way so certainly if if the amount of sharing going on is as much as they say uh, this is going to be a big win for them I mean, I'm, 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 I'm empathetic to your situation, Kyle, and, and certainly empathetic to anybody who's, you know, doesn't have, you know, who's doesn't have a lot of means. Uh, at the same time, I think your example illustrates how Netflix, excuse me, Netflix is giving people choices to try yep. to stay around the level yep. that they've been at. I mean, you, as you said, can now drop from down to the standard plan. And uh, still stay around par to what you were paying. So, to me, consumer choice is really important. And at the same time, business is business, and there's no free lunch ultimately. Yep. So, I think this is about as good a situation, about as good a decision making as they could have done. And and one thing, I know we've talked about this before, but. There's a lot of behavioral science going on behind the scenes in this decision that Netflix just made. Uh, no doubt a lot of surveying, testing, experimentation to try to figure out what the resulting member behaviors, subscriber behaviors is going to be as a result of this change in these choices. It's complicated and, and there's no doubt there's going to be plenty of blowback among certain groups in social media about Netflix doing this, making this policy change, because they're the ones who are going to be most impacted by this. I'm speaking now of primarily younger people. I think they're kind of doing the best that they can, and I think they're going to come out of this, as you said at the end of your remarks, net positive in a big way, not even in a small way. I think yeah. this is going to be a, a meaningful step up for Netflix. I think they know it, and they message that in their last earnings call. They feel confident about this, and I think it's going to work out well for them. Yep, yep. I think you're probably right. 
Um, but anyway, well, I wanted to, I know we're getting near time. I wanted to just spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, the conference that I'm at right now, which is this X Fronts put on by OTTX. And mention one thing that came up yesterday in the conference. And there was a presentation by uh, Siva Natarajan, who's head of new product uh, initiatives and business development at Amagi. And our audience, I know, uh, may well be familiar with Amagi. They're actually a very significant tech player in the fast industry. They're helping a lot of companies create fast channels and distribute them. And they also even have an ad pool, which is, uh, allows, uh, allows those channels to participate in ad sales as well. And so Mr. Natarajan, he gave us his four challenges for the industry. And I just wanted to quickly touch on each of those because I thought they were very interesting. He looked at them from each of the four constituents in the fast industry. That, of course, is viewers, content providers, fast services themselves and advertisers. His first, first challenge was just the fact that there were too many channels for people to really successfully navigate. Um, I've looked at the top five or six uh, fast services and each of them have over 300 channels. One of them has over 400 channels uh, and they're very difficult to navigate. It's very difficult to find stuff. Um, and that has to get a lot easier if I think the industry is going to really take off or, or continue to grow. I shouldn't say take off. It's most assuredly taken off. And one of the things he actually suggested was pretty interesting. He suggested personalization of both the guide itself and of the channels themselves. So basically, the, the guide configures itself more to your preferences and your only shown channels that match your interests. And also some of the channels can configure themselves dynamically uh, to your con your the type of content you like to see. Of course, there are lots of problems with doing what he says, but uh, I thought it was an interesting su suggestion to use personalization actually in the guide and in the channels themselves to help short circuit the complexity. But the flip side of limiting the channels to three or 400 as the providers are doing to try and limit the complexity, uh, and of course it's an artificial limit because we could have as many channels as we want in these things, uh, but one of the things that's causing a lot of pain here for the folks that are attending OTTX is that it's getting more difficult to get on those platforms because they don't want to overload them with channels. And that tends to punish the smaller, more niche channels. Uh, it gets much more difficult to get them on those services. And there seems to be, you know, the gravitational pull seems to be towards the more popular content and the more popular brands. So I think that that's having the net effect of not only making it more difficult for niche stuff to get on, but restricting the variety of channels that are available in the service. So that was content providers. Fast services, um, he says there's a lack of service differentiation. And I've got to tell you, I think I agree with that statement as well. Although there are 1,600 fast channels, and oh, I think in the US there's probably 20 or more significant fast services, they all seem to be gravitating towards this idea of a broad entertainment package. And uh, I think there's a wonderful opportunity for services to differentiate themselves more by 
picking on particular groups and looking to super serve, super serve them. There's a couple of services doing them, doing that already. There's VIX, which is a Spanish language fast service. Um, and then that, that we saw a new one, which I hadn't noticed before, called Electric Now, which is really servicing the fandom community with sci-fi action, thrillers, and fantasy. That looks really good. Um, and by the way, if we were, if the services were to differentiate themselves more and go for target demographics, that might simplify things. So I liked, I liked that sort of idea. And the final thing was he was very critical of the industry, of the fast industry, for the lack of ad unit innovation. And I got to, you know, when I look at fast services, I think pretty much universally all I see is 15, 30, and 60 second video ad units in traditional pods. Uh, there are some, there is some innovation taking place out there, like I think Vizio introduced jump view ads, which allows a content provider to, uh, if somebody's watching their content on a channel, they can jump to our VOD assets in their app, which I thought is quite interesting. And I've seen some interactive ads on Freebie. But to, for the most part, I'm just seeing 15, 30, and 60 second video ad units. And uh, I would like to see more variety. Uh, and I'm sure a, a lot of our listeners would too. So anyway, those are the four challenges challenges he saw for the industry or he laid out for the industry there's a bunch more of course but uh, those are those i think were four good ones i agree i think there are four good ones and the only thing i'd say on the last point the ad unit innovation is that actually i i think there's a tremendous amount of innovation happening right now in connected tv advertising and it is steadily being it's all being steadily introduced into the market the key limiter is that ad buyers are not yet fully incented to focus on innovative ad units yeah because the kpis are not the standard kpis that ad money has been measured on traditionally yep and that gets into this whole question about multiple currencies lower funnel KPIs, um, the true engagement potential of CTV. There are a lot of different factors at work. I, I wouldn't say that it's for a lack of trying on the platform or the tech or the device side, uh, or even on the network side, fast side. I, I think it has more to do with a dynamic that is just, hey, you don't turn a, you know, what's the expression? You can't turn an aircraft carrier on a dime it just doesn't work that way. And that's yeah. not how this industry works either. But there's lots and lots of good stuff happening that's going to make this happen, make this evolution come to full fruition over time. I, I feel like there's, there are so many smart people and so much energy and so many dollars going into evolving this industry to be more innovative that it's, it, it'll happen over time. It'll just yep. take time. Yep, I think I agree. But anyway, I think I'm, I got to go, Will. I am due on stage pretty soon. So uh, this has been a great conversation as always. Yeah, and good luck with that pilot at Apple TV tomorrow, Colin. Seriously, <laughs> break a leg. I'll try. <laughs> okay, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.